Coming up, why Ford will most likely fail here in Australia. A tragedy in two parts, really. Full details, next. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Yes. Hit me up on the website for that. And don't forget the live streams every Thursday evening at 8.30pm Sydney time. The best way to ensure that you don't miss those. You can ask me anything, which is not the same thing as me answering everything, obviously. But hey, feel free to ask. Thursday nights, 8.30pm Sydney time. Just subscribe and hit the bell notification icon thingo so that YouTube can stalk you via whatever screen you are logged in on and then we will hook up live on the platform on Thursday evenings. Back to Ford now. Ford here in Australia has set itself up for failure, at least in the medium term. Nobody reports this, but Blind Freddy can see it. You know, the company is out of touch and its viability depends on one vehicle. So they're two things, okay? Two critical things. Let's deal with out of touch first. A Ford press release crossed my inbox on the 22nd this month. And normally, of course, I lose consciousness when this occurs. That miracle cure for insomnia, right? When arrogance and irrelevance collide i.e. anything Ford considers to be newsworthy. High-performance icon to thrill Australian customers as Ford Mustang Mark I in manual and automatic transmissions set to debut in Australian showrooms. I immediately thought, of course, if this is a Ford Mustang lottery of sorts, what's second prize? Two of those death trap shitboxes. Following the success of Mustang Bullet and Mustang R-Spec, we are very excited to introduce this highly capable track-ready Mustang to our Australian Mustang fans. The unique styling which pays homage to the original model is more than worthy of its legendary badge. Andrew Burkich there, President and CEO of Ford Shitsville and Sheep Shagistan, obviously. Or as I like to call him, Big Burke. What is this success to which you allude, dude? I'm not seeing it. And P.S., what's the point of calling this position you occupy in the corner office president and CEO? Is there actually some distinction between these two roles? Perhaps the CEO orders those little triangle sandwiches with the crusts cut off every lunchtime while the president sits down and eats them. Maybe that's how it works. Or does it just sound maximally grandiose? President and CEO, Jesus. So with that in mind, let me paint the Mustang sales picture for you, shall I? Lest you erroneously believe this vehicle is actually a success, as alleged in the press release by B Squared. Mustang sales actually peaked in Australia at about 9,000 units back in 2017, and that was a win, no argument, a really solid foundation upon which to build. But the very next year, in 2018, they fell by 30%, and in 2019, a further 38% Mustang sales implosion. And 
This year, just for consistency's sake, Mustang sales have jumped off yet another cliff. 36% down so far. So, on track, if that's the right term, for 2,900 sales by the end of this year. So let me get this straight, okay? You Ford Australia dudes took one of the world's muscle car icons, which is roughly as old as me, within months, coincidentally, with huge cachet, the car, not me, and you managed to turn more than 9,000 sales into less than 3,000 in four years inclusive. Well done. Result, as they say on the Sweeney. Bonus points to the staggering hubris that it would take me to use the term success in a press release orbiting Mustang in Australia. No facts were consulted in this determination, pretty clearly. Mustang is not a success in Australia. It is clearly on a defined trajectory to failure, which you can plot like a friggin' graph if you want. Amazingly, Ford has thus far located 28,028 Schittsvillians who are dumb enough to procure a new Mustang. Perhaps that's the alleged success, we'll never know. Even in such a high-yielding dickhead mine as Schittsville, and let's face it, we pretty much do lead the developed world in this niche area, it's remarkable that Ford has managed to drill into a vein of dickhead quite this rich. But the well is drying up, and that's a real concern. We are past the point of peak dickhead. We might have to resort to fracking to exploit those final Mustang-receptive morons down under. Mustang has won the hearts and minds of Australian drivers, and Mark I is one of the most thrilling Mustangs to date. This head-turning model not only looks the part, but it has all the hardware to delight Mustang enthusiasts, offering on-track excitement and on-road driving pleasure. All the hardware to delight. Big Burke there, again, in my view, failing to acknowledge the elephant in the room on Mustang, which would be, this is a car that will cost you almost 90,000 bucks on the road. And while it will be quite speedy, if crash tested today, it would fail, insofar as I can tell, to earn even one star for safety under the current ANCAP, Euro ANCAP testing protocols. On my world, this is both disgraceful and indefensible for a $90,000 car. They should call Mustang what it really is, in my view. The child killer. When it was retested late in 2017 by Euro NCAP, Mustang, same platform as today, scored 32% for child occupant protection. This is disgraceful, okay? Four points out of eight for the dynamic side impact test. 2.17 out of 12 for restraint installation, and zero out of a possible 13 points for onboard safety features to protect child occupants. Head protection for a 10-year-old child was rated as, quote, poor. This is the worst possible rating. What they mean is death trap. That's for the side impact test, okay? 
For a six-year-old child, chest protection was, quote, marginal in the offset frontal crash test. So let me just paint the picture here, okay, so you're getting what this means. Rich, misguided dude drops 90 grand on the new Mark I safety shit heap, okay? And then one day, he has to nip up to the shops for the milk and the bread or something, and he's child-minding today. So his 10-year-old and his 6-year-old get jammed into the mighty Mustang, right? All that enthusiastic enjoyment and pleasure and whatever else was promised. He's doing like 60 k's an hour responsibly on the way to the shops, and then out of nowhere, okay, from completely, literally left field, he gets T-boned. And it's not his fault, okay? It's just one of those things. And he's okay, thank God, okay? He gets out dazed and confused, but otherwise uninjured. A side impact protection for the driver is actually okay in the Mustang, okay? Just for disambiguation on this. But unfortunately... One of the kids is dead, okay? And the other one is brain injured. And frankly, having seen both consequences here, I'm really not sure which one is worse. And if those kids had been in a friggin' Mazda 3 or a Kia Cerato or dozens of other five-star contemporary cars costing about a third of the price, they'd both be okay. So that's a tragedy, isn't it? I'm an engineer, okay? That's what these safety ratings tell me. You can download technical reports, you can read them, you can join the dots for yourself. My example is a hypothetical, certainly, but this is the position you are in if you own a Mustang. ANCAP would never put it like that because, hey, they're a big fat corporate installation and they're always in manufacturer appeasement mode because they got no money and they want the cars supplied for free for testing and it's like, a boys club and they're out of touch so there's all of that big burke from ford right he just wants to tell you how much pleasure delight and excitement they've managed to wrap up for you this time around in this somewhat irrelevant expensive dinosaur of a car that increasingly nobody buys and my sympathy factor for that nobody buying it is you cannot measure it with a scanning electron microscope okay like We've got rev matching now, <laughs> which I'm sure is awesome, but kind of irrelevant in the bigger picture. And the media just laps this stuff up because who doesn't like spending a week in a 345 kilowatt V8 with rear drive and a new six-speed Tremec gearbox with rev matching? <laughs> Especially if you manage not to crash for a week and you don't have any kids. In the side barrier test, Poor protection was provided to the head of the 10-year dummy. The head bottomed out through the side curtain airbag, making contact with the trim on the C-pillar. Consequently, all points were lost for the 10-year dummy in this test. That is from the official ANCAP technical report, which I assume is a cut and paste of Euro ANCAP's findings. For that vehicle. And I must say, therefore, what a pity the passion for engineering prowess, which allegedly orbits Mustang in R&D, was not devoted to fundamental respect for the lives of children of Mustang customers. I challenge any dipshit Ford designer to defend these decisions, because they are decisions. Things didn't just, you know, turn out this way for Mustang. They took the decision not to give a shit about this. So, 
That's complete corporate out-of-touchedness in my view. And here's the bit on strategic vulnerability for Ford in Australia. The fact is, Ford in Australia is one vehicle away from outright commercial collapse. And that vehicle is Ranger. And to some extent, it's Dizygotic spin-off, Everest. Everest exists only thanks to Ranger, and they roll on essentially the same architecture. Both spew from the same Ford factory in Thailand. Everest is Ranger, essentially, with a box instead of a tub on the back. Ranger 4x4 is the big win for Big Burke, with 26,377 sales so far this year, and that is, of course, augmented by about 1,800 Ranger 4x2s and about 4,000 Everests. Together, okay, these comprise 32,000 out of the almost 41,000 sales Ford Schittsville has made so far this year. 32 out of 41. It's about 80% of the business, if you want to call it a business. It's really an implosion looking for a trigger, okay? In other words, the other Ford products, Endura, Escape, Fiesta, Focus, Mondeo, and Puma, they're all nowhere. Statistically, no Australians buy them. This is the real Ford Australia story, and it is just not being reported, mainly because publishers want Ford's advertising revenue right up to the day when Dr. Kevorkian gets on the line from Dearborn. Every non-Ranger-based vehicle in the Ford inventory is costing the business money by being there, available for sale, okay? Homologation, parts, training, whatever, for vehicles that people do not buy. Statistically, Ford would be more profitable in Schittsville without selling them. I guess the Ford Transit is somewhat successful in the context of vans with about 2,300 sales so far this year. Number three, behind High Ace and Isla. Just to be fair, Transit is something of a success. But without Ranger and its derivatives, Ford Schittsville would have slightly less commercial footprint than Chinese upstart MG. Or Ford would be slightly in front of LDV by about two and a half thousand sales at this point of 2020. It's amazing when you think about it. To me, this is a huge strategic risk. Vulnerability is probably a better word. It takes just one disruption for Ford's business to collapse in Australia, okay? This could easily be an own goal, right? Like, say the next Ranger is a dog with fleas or the market just perceives it as such, okay? The business collapses. Of course, this might not occur like the meteor that killed all those lizards 66 million years ago. It might not be a, a one-hit wonder, you know. Death for Ford Australia could also come in the form of a thousand incremental cuts. And here's how. Like, relative newcomer LDV managed to sell 3,258 T60 4x4 pickups so far this year. And they were nowhere just four years ago, right? And I'm not suggesting a T60 is line ball with a Ranger, not at all, okay? 
but a fully loaded T60, T60 sorry, is 35,000 bucks cheaper than a fully loaded Ranger dual cab. And hey, it's even seven grand less than a Poverty Ranger dual cab pickup. And clearly those 3,258 dudes who bought T60s, they did so instead of buying a Ranger or one of every other established ute, okay? They went with the better value newcomer. Let's just say LDV keeps plugging away incrementally, like they seem to be acquiring momentum. Let's further speculate that some other Chinese ute manufacturer enters the fray and begins kicking goals, and heaven forbid, Hyundai or Kia, or Hyundai and Kia, removes a finger from the distal end of its conjoined digestive tract and actually produces a decent 4x4 dual cab ute and brings it to market here. Do you reckon that would kick a goal? Like, Look at what happened to Hiace with the advent of iLoad all those years ago, right? Bad news for Hiace, dudes. Incremental conquests of this nature could easily upend Ford Shitsville over the next five years. And that's a gentler demise, perhaps. But the end result is, of course, the same. A flat line on the monitor, just like Holden. And platitudes from senior executives such as Big Burke, like, hey, we gave it our best shot. Imagine being a Ford dealer today and looking across the road at what happened to Holden earlier this year and knowing the value of your franchise depends not on the strength of the brand and its broad appeal across the population, you know, all that heritage, not depending on that, but on the ongoing popularity of just one product in an inventory of 10 models, nine of which are unsustainable, collectively unsustainable in this country. Knowing that the future of your dealership business rides on senior executives at Ford here and Ford back in Dearborn, making all the right calls with things like Future Ranger and the right strategic plays against both new and established competitors. Ranger's current popularity is like serendipitous. It's not like they planned it. it, just happened, dude. I don't know about you, but that would make me feel kind of vulnerable commercially, more vulnerable than the execs at Ford Australia head office, okay, who might actually cop promotions overseas for keeping the old girl running before it heads down to the bottom of the friggin' Marianas Trench. 